The understanding would have been that at times it was thought like a new star would appear if a king had been born. And well, well, there's something about this new star in the sky that is miraculous and wonderful. And they think to themselves, well, if we're going to find out who this true king is, we're going to have to go because where kings are found are in palaces. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Herod because if there's a king to be found, he's got to be with Herod. And so they go to Herod and they walk in. Now, you've got to see this, okay? So Queen Elizabeth... You come in as a wise man before the queen and you say to her this, we've come to find the true queen. Do you know where she is? Could you imagine how patronizing that would be? Now, could you imagine this moment where they come before Herod? And Herod is this crazy psycho. Like he is this guy that, you know, he got so paranoid, it just, like killed his wife, he, he killed some kid of his children, and then his, his like firstborn eldest son just killed him. One of the Roman emperors said it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his kids. This guy's crazy. And you go before him and you say this, uh, I know you think you're the king. I know you think you're like the king of the Jews and the, the king of Judea and this title that's been given to you by Rome. But could you point us to the real king? Now, Herod, he, he doesn't kill them because that's what you'd expect. You'd expect him just to take them out on the spot. Instead, what he says is, well, if you get to him, would you let me know where he is? Because Herod knew his threat was not the wise man, his threat was the other king. This king who would be born in Bethlehem, this king who, well, if he's born in Bethlehem, could he be like the greatest king that was ever known to the king of the, Jew, of the Jews, David? No, David was the best. Could this be better than David? And they have Herod in his paranoia trying to get to this king so he can kill him and take him out. And you have these wise men who are just trying to find him so they can worship him. And they go towards Jesus in, in his manger and in his crib. He'd have been about two, so he'd have been out of his crib and just thinking there, he'd have been, no, running around, being annoying, two-year-old. There's a reason they say terrible twos and all that stuff. It's not because all children are two are nuts. It's just they're discovering things like, yeah, that boiling hot kettle, let's just pull it off the worktop. All those sort of things. They're getting on their feet. They're doing those things. Jesus would have been in the middle of all of that. And they come, and they come with these gifts. The gifts are familiar. The gifts are those gifts that we, um, gold, Help me out here, gold. I love how people from Belfast say myrrh. <laughs> it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, so yes, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, okay, so they come with these gifts. And the choice I really want to put to us this morning is when they come with, we're told they come with their, their chests of treasure and they present them before the king. I want you to see a chest because that's the, that's the word there. That's, it's, it's described as a chest off. No, it talks about, you know, they give these gifts, but it's a, tre it's a chest, like a treasure chest full of something. 
And you see, the choice this Christmas is really what treasure will you present to Jesus? You see, the context of it is this, that they gave gifts that would further the ministry of Jesus. They gave gifts that would prophetically describe what Jesus was and who he was and what he had came to do. And, and, and they came with this gold and they said, well, here's the gold. We're going to uh, give it to Jesus because you give kings gold. And we'll come back to the gold in a minute. We think of frankincense and and they came with this gift of frankincense. And when we read through the scriptures, we realize that frankincense is mentioned. It's mentioned in the Old Testament when it comes to sacrifice. And what they would have done is they made up this perfume of, of frankincense and, and, and olive oil and ointments. And they would have got it all together. And when it came to sacrifice, they would have covered the meat sacrifice with this fragrance. So when you think of Jesus being presented this gift of frankincense, what you've got to know is what they're saying is, we are giving what is to be anointed and poured over the sacrifice, the sacrifice for the sins of the world. But in that as well, we read, as we further read through the scriptures, that this fragrance not just became about sacrifice, it became about worship. And this fragrance that would fill the air of worship. And you see, you can't read this story without wanting to understand that Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sins. The glory of God, God revealed. And also realizing that in doing that, he deserves our worship. The other thing we are starting to realize about frankincense, and one of the things we don't know is, did the wise men know that frankincense is also a, a potent healer? And was there something in the symbolism? Because when we read scriptures like, by his stripes you are healed, it seems to imply that he came to heal us from our sin, but also heal us in our bodies. He is our healer. And you see, these prophetic declarations over Jesus, he is our sacrifice. He is the one we should worship, but also he is our healer. And then we have myrrh. And myrrh is the one that, well, you use it to embalm the dead. And Jesus would die. And, and there's so much prophetic insight into those symbols. And I just don't want to take it too far. But what I want to say this morning is the gold. Has anybody in the room ever thought what happened to the gold? Because that is what been, that's what's been torturing my mind with this story. Do you know, what happened to the Jesus' gold? Now, I had the odd time of watching this program of Escobar's Millions on Netflix, and it's like these guys who are out trying to find his missing money buried in pits. Uh, no, um, there was the German gold after the Second World War where there was a, a ship that sunk and they went and got it, and, and it was the greatest haul of gold ever found. What about Jesus' gold? Was Jesus not poor? Because the tradition was that if you presented a gift to a king of gold, normally that gold would be the weight of about 50 pounds, 20 something kilograms. You're talking about today the, the worth of about half a million pounds. But if it ain't Jesus, turn it off. I'm sorry, that one never gets old for me. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. So, the gold, 500,000 pounds worth of gold. Jesus. Uh, now, we're, we're, we're reading into some of these things, but, but it wasn't a trinket, it was it was out of worship. It was kings coming to worship a king. You, know, you could insult the king by giving him the wrong gift. But this treasure chest of gold. Now, when I, whenever I start to think about this, I, I start to really look at scripture and start to go through scripture. And I realize that, well, I've been told all my life that Jesus Christ was poor. And then I understand that Jesus was educated, and education costs money. I understand that, well, they had to relocate to Egypt because, well, the herd that we were talking about, he was going to wipe out all of the kids, and they were warned by God to go uh, to Egypt and to escape before they die, and, well, to relocate anywhere costs money. We, we know that Jesus stood in the in the temple and he read the scriptures in such a way that people didn't go, what this guy can read? They said, the authority by which he reads is like nothing else we've seen. When we read the life of Jesus, we realize that he had 12 disciples, 12 blokes, probably around the age, let's go for 20. That's a good guess. Now, if you've ever kept a 20-year-old in your house, mommies out there, they're not easy to feed. Like you imagine 12 of these guys who need looked after and who need fed and who need all of these things. But we also read that, well, Jesus had these supporters who were wealthy and supported him. We, we read that Jesus borrowed things, didn't he? He borrowed a boat to preach from. He, he borrowed uh, food from a wee boy. No, when you say that out loud, it's like, he, thanks, mate. I'll have your lunch. Um, do you know, he borrowed some food to feed the 5,000. He, he seemed to borrow things, but, but can you borrow things if the whole of the earth is the Lord's? He borrowed a donkey to ride into Bethlehem. He borrowed a tomb that he would be buried in. But is he borrowing if everything is already his? Now, why does this stuff matter? Because when we read through the life of Jesus, he spoke in a way about money that made you think he understood money. No, if somebody came in here and they've never worked a day in their life, they've never had a pound in their pocket, they've never understood any value of money and started preaching to me about how you've got money, you need to go poor and you need to go all this thing, I'd just be like, yeah, 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 yeah. But see the person who abandons wealth in order to become poor? Well, they've got something to say. And when we read through the scriptures, we know that Jesus, well, he poured himself out. He became poor so that we could become rich. He, 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 he was this person who, who, who thought nothing of just giving up everything for us. Everything for us. Now, why do you say this? I, I don't want to read too much into it, but someone put a chest of gold in front of Jesus. And then I thought this. Well, to Jesus, he came from heaven. So if the whole manger had been made of gold, it was still like a premier inn compared to heaven. I started to think to myself, no, whatever is rich on this earth would still be of poverty 
to what Jesus left behind to come to earth. And I've been wrestling around this whole reality of what happened to the gold. And does it matter? Well, it matters to me that Jesus didn't just give up heavenly riches. He seemed to give up everything else on earth. It's even when it comes to presenting your treasure to Jesus, we have to remember Jesus is always the example. Jesus is always the one who goes before us. And if we're sitting here this morning, what does it look like to present our treasure to Jesus? What does it look like? Well, Jesus would present everything for us. So that we would present everything for him. Now, this is not a calling to be poor. Uh, don't remember, poor and murr, okay? This is not a calling to be poor. This is not some evangelical poverty call. This is asking us the question. You see, when these three kings sat before Jesus, whatever they put in front of him promoted the ministry of Jesus. And whatever God has put in your hands, your pocket, your life, your talents, your gifts, everything who you are, is it being presented in such a generous way? We're not talking sacrifice. We're not talking about give up everything. I'm talking about the spirit of generosity, which surely is the Christmas story, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's this generous spirit of God. See, what we have through our generosity, is it revealing the image of the Son of God? Because that's the choice. You see, we look back at the death of Jesus and we look back at the story and we realize that what the, the three wise men did with their treasure at the end of their life and at the end of the life of Jesus, it made Jesus known. Today we're going to have a reflection service, reflecting on people who have left our lives and our worlds, lights that have gone out that break our hearts. And I ask myself at the end of my life, when my light goes out, will the wealth and the treasure that God has put in my pockets, will the talents, will the time, will the energy, will all of those things that God has put before me, Will they have made known the glory of God? Because that's the choice. The other choice I want to put this this morning is, will we choose purpose? Even when it hurts? See, these wise men, and I'm going to bring it to a close soon, but I want to try and finish early this morning because we really want to encourage people to come this afternoon. This choice, I used to go sailing with an uncle, Uncle Jimmy. Um, I know it's Belfast, isn't it? Everybody has an uncle who's not an uncle or an auntie who's not an aunt. Or it's the weirdest thing. No, we've got weird aunties. We say myrrh. We say, no, no. It, we've got our stuff. But I used to go sailing with my uncle Jimmy and he had this race boat 
Uh, and if he put up a certain sail, it was like yacht time. It was like, you know, cruising, plain sailing, all of those things. But if he wanted to get somewhere with intentionality, if he wanted to get somewhere fast, if he wanted to get somewhere like, like his life depended on it, he put out this other type of seal. I can't even remember the name of it. It was, a, it was bigger than the rest of the seals. It, it was made of a different fabric. It was, and whenever he turned to put his boat in line with the direction that he wanted to go, and this seal caught the wind. Honestly, the boat went up on its sides. We were tied in as kids with ropes and life jackets. It was like, you just wouldn't do this thing now. But, but Uncle Jammy thought it was okay. Do you know, if you fall off the edge, the rope will hang you. Good guy. Um, but it was this. But what I remember about this moment and these moments was the greater the sense of intentionality and direction, the greater the pressure on the seal. And when I read through this story, I see people throughout it who have forced into making choices that will cost them. They will feel the pressure of it. The closer you get to the glory of God, the closer you get to Jesus, the more pressure you will feel but it will be the ride of your life. It won't be plain sailing. And what I would put to you this morning is this, that you can live your life with pain. You can live your life with uh, pressure. You can live all of those things without Jesus. Or you can actually enter into the purposes of Jesus, live an adventure, but there will also be pain. It will cost. But we bring it back. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those who have favor with God. You see, ultimately what we're choosing is favor with God. And I love this. I love the fact that if I choose God's purposes, I get God's peace. And, and talk to some people in here. If, you, if you're thinking to yourself, what is this God's peace stuff? Talk to somebody who's lived a bit following Jesus. Talk to some people who've been around a few circles that in their wildest dreams, they never thought they'd have to go around. They've had to walk through paths and walk down lanes they never thought possible. They've had to wake up in the morning, do a letter, or they've had to sit with someone in a situation going, what would I say? Ask them to describe the peace of God. And you know, they'll never be able to describe it. Because it's indescribable. But if you want to walk through life in God's purposes, you get God's favor and you get God's peace. And that's the choice. See, this morning when we come to all of these things, there's this sense of pressure. And we're going to come to pray. I'm going to ask you all to stand for me. And we're going to... So we've set up a wee polling station here this morning. And, and, and really what you do is you put your vote in here. Once it goes into this box, it never comes out. It, it, that's the plan. Like, honestly, if you try to pull your vote back out, you're just going to jail. That's what will happen. Uh, I'm just letting you know, once you put it in, you don't look back, 
You live with your choice, and that's how it works. And when you think of an earthly election, that's what happens. You know, there are people I voted for last election that I didn't vote for this election because I had to make my choice and live with my choice. You see, it seems to be with Jesus Christ, we think that we can put our vote in here and then pull it back out again. No, it's like, well, throw it in, pull it out, throw it in, pull it out, throw it in, pull it out. It's like, how serious are we about this choice? As a guy out about, I think it was about 17, I remember climbing through a place called the chimney. And it was like a hole through a rock and then would take you up into, through a cliff face. And this is all internal. And then you would come out the top of a mountain to the most amazing view. I think to myself, now I would be Santa get stuck up the chimney. (laughs) No, that's where we'll be going with that one. But then, (sighs) then I somehow made my way through. I can remember the pressure I can remember even at that stage and that size, it just felt so tight. I remember squeezing and climbing and thinking to myself, there's no way back. Like, honestly, the way back was the way down. It was like, if you're going to let go, you're going to die. That's just, you're going to hurt yourself, break something, or just land on the person coming up behind you. That's probably the choice I'd have made. And But I remember this squeeze, and I remember the adrenaline. I remember this whole push to get through. And then I remember the moment that I came out the top of the mountain and saw the view. And it was so worth it. See, the calling of Jesus Christ, there is pressure. There is cost, but we get to see the glory of God. We get to look into the face of Jesus and allow him to become the most beautiful scenery of our world. But it's a choice. And this Christmas, the choice is we put it in and we don't take it back. Do you know, this is where we mature in our faith. So it's like we're no turning back. It's the... Yeah, it's this. It's, we don't look back. We don't turn back. We make the decision. We recognize at times it's going to cost. At times it's going to hurt. At times, but life is going to hurt and life is going to cost without Jesus or with, it, with him. But the choice is that in that squeeze we get to see the glory of God. That's the choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Don't turn them back. It can cost community. It can cost friendships. It can cost, well, in some countries, it can cost your life. In this country, we don't talk about cost because it costs us nothing. Because, you know, we talk about an offering in church and people think, what? You thought just after money? <laughs> the gospel is generous. And it demands your treasure. So what will I bring? Let's just close our eyes and think about this. What will I bring? What will I give? What will I give?
There are people in this room need to decide for Jesus. You need to decide, I am going to choose Jesus above everything else. No turning back. I'm going to put it in a box and not go back. People in this room need to make that choice. In Deuteronomy, we're encouraged to choose blessing or cursing. And blessing comes with God. But we choose. Joshua was encouraged and encouraged the people. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They chose. And there is always a choice. Can we pray? I'm going to ask you this morning. And I'm going to ask you unashamedly with with that reality of choice and the power of choice, the pressure of choice, the pain of choice, that it costs, but did you get everything? It's free, but it costs, it's all of those mysteries that following Jesus Christ costs, but so worth it to have his peace and his presence, his beauty and his glory. So this morning, if you would like, well, to just mark this moment in a way where you say, I choose. I choose. Would you get my attention in the room? glare at me, wave at me, do something in my direction. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you to the front. I'm not going to do any of that. But I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included in that prayer that says, I choose Jesus. No turning back. So many people in this room, that's your choice already. You've made that choice. You're living that choice out. But if that's your choice for yourself, no one else, you're only doing it for Jesus, then let's go for a wave in the room. A glare. Choice. let Jesus represent me and I will represent Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for them even though I don't know all. I don't know them all. I, I don't know what they're going home to. I don't know what has gone on in their worlds but I know that you loved everyone enough to send your son Jesus Christ into humanity 
God and a baby. That you would save us, rescue us from ourselves, from our choices. to the highest place from the lowest place and on earth peace in Jesus name Amen